0: Welcome to the 11th episode of the Invisibility Today podcast. I'm your tiny disabled host, Laura Elliott. This month, I'm thrilled to introduce you to Holly Chook, a blogger and campaigner who's here today to talk about her success with her blog, Life of a Blind Girl, making education and employment accessible, and challenging stigmas about visual impairment. Welcome to the show, Holly. Thank
1: you for having me.
0: Oh, thank you for being here. So firstly, would you like to talk a little bit about your background and work over the last few years?
1: Yeah, sure. So my name's Holly. I'm a disability and lifestyle blogger. I run the blog lifeofablindgirl.com. I'm registered blind due to a condition called retinopathy of prematurity, RP for short because it's a really long name. <laughs> um, I have no use or vision. I have a detached retina in my left eye and I can only see light and dark in my right. I started my blog in 2015, so like four years ago now, which is crazy to think about, to kind of tackle the common misconceptions surrounding sight loss and disability and share my experiences of living with a vision impairment. I started it when I was at uni, um, so like then I kind of had a bit of a focus on university and education and things like that. And now. I work as an assistive technology advisor, so I'm starting to kind of focus more on employment and things like that. Really,
0: that's amazing. And your um your blog's been doing really well, so well, in fact, that you were included as part of the Sure Trusts Disability Power 100 last year. Um, yeah. What did that mean to you, and how did it come about?
1: It was. A really surreal feeling to be honest like something that I never expected because when I started blogging you don't really think about all these opportunities like nothing ever even entered my head so there was on Twitter I saw that Shaw Trusted kind of tweeted about the Disability Power 100 and I kind of just like shared the link and stuff and didn't really think any more of it and then I got an email to say that I'd actually made it onto the list wow which was crazy <laughs>
0: <laughs> what was the um yeah. did you go to the award ceremony for
1: it. I did, yeah.
0: What was that like?
1: It was really good. Um, I met some other disabled bloggers and some people like that, which was really nice because it was people that I'd spoken to online for like a few years, so it was really nice to meet them. Mm-hmm. It was at the South Bank Centre in London, which was really nice.
0: Yeah, I bet. And you... It's it seems to be a thing with them um, disability campaigners as well that we we talk to each other all the time online and so few of us actually meet in person but the online community is so supportive or at least I find it that way do you?
1: Yeah, definitely. I love being part of the online disability community. Like I think that's definitely one of the perks of having a disability been part of such a supportive community because if you know you need some advice or you kind of just need a run or you know like or you share your blog posts and people are really supportive so I think it's so nice to be part of you know the disabled community and it would be nice if like we could all meet just for, like a meet-up or something.
0: Yeah absolutely now on your blog you've just touched on it already but you talk very candidly about your life with a visual impairment what are some of the misconceptions you encounter about being blind or being visually impaired
1: yeah so there's quite a lot obviously I kind of speak about the common misconceptions quite a bit because I think you know they need to be tackled Mm. some of them one of them is most definitely that blind or visually impaired people can't be independent and live a normal fulfilling life it's one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to share my experiences online and start a blog because people kind of have this negative idea that you know we just kind of stay at home all day and that's really not the case at all like (laughs) I go out to work, I see my friends, I go to concerts and do all stuff like that and that's just one of the common misconceptions that we can't do things but we actually can. Mm-hmm. Another one is that being blind is really negative and it has no positives and this isn't the case at all. Mm-hmm. Being blind has actually given me skills, it's given me friends you know that I maybe wouldn't have met otherwise. And like we already discussed, being part of the disability community. Um, And one thing that I spoke about recently on my blog was employment. I shared some tips on maybe getting a job if you have a visual impairment, because people kind of often think, oh, well, you're registered as blind, so you're not going to get good grades in school, you're not maybe going to get a degree, and you're not going to get a job. But, you know, we can actually do that. Yeah, it might not be easy, but we can do that
0: yeah absolutely and you've um you just said you you worked as an assistive technology advisor um yeah i'm sure that's well i hope that's quite an accessible (laughs) industry (laughs) um but do you come have you come up against barriers to employment because of your visual impairment
1: yeah i mean when i graduated university i don't think i was fully prepared for how hard it was going to be to you know find a graduate job Mm. i don't think i had the resources maybe i mean obviously they were out there but you don't always know like looking back now i've found out about various schemes and various websites and people that I could have talked to, but I didn't know at the time. I think that's definitely a barrier that, you know, it's it's hard to kind of know what to do and where to go to for kind of support and help. And one of the other things is that often when, you know, you look at job websites, and you see all these thousands of jobs, they're not always accessible. So you kind of got to think about, right, what can I do, rather than what can't I do? Because I think if you think about, oh, well, I can't do this and I can't do that. You kind of just get into such a negative mindset and, in fact, your disability can actually, it can give you skills. Um, but, yeah, so, like, in terms of employment, I think one of the things that I've been extremely, I don't know if lucky is the right word, but my employer understands my vision impairment and they support me in the right way. But, obviously, there are barriers, such as I work at a university, so I can't memorise the whole campus. Right. So I often have to get maybe assistance kind of, go to a room that I'm not familiar with and there's sometimes various systems and websites and things like that that aren't accessible so obviously that's a barrier.
0: Yeah absolutely. What what would make these websites and systems more accessible?
1: I think just for companies to kind of think about accessibility and for it not to be an afterthought it's really easy to implement accessibility strategies and you know things like labelling buttons or putting image descriptions and naming links, it can make such a difference. So just to like think about accessibility when, you know, you're designing a product or you're designing a website or system or whatever. Don't think of it as an as an afterthought. Just think of it as something like, it's not hard to do and I I want to make my site or system accessible.
0: Yeah, as opposed to just, oh I want to make it pretty something, you know, accessibility should be more important than that.
1: Yeah, like if you want to have it pretty fine. But make it pretty and accessible
0: <laughs> yeah you can do both it's not impossible yeah definitely And um, now you did touch upon and uh I'm not following my own question pattern here, so you'll have to forgive me. <laughs> but uh, luck. <laughs> so um, you touched upon being a university student and that's when you started your blog. Did you find that your university education was accessible to you and that you were able to participate in university the same way someone without a visual impairment can?
1: Yeah, I think university was definitely the most positive educational experience rather than school. I mean, in school, I was lucky to have two brilliant teaching assistants who would put work into an accessible format for me so electronically or in braille and obviously that really helped when I went to uni but you know at school teachers didn't understand my visual impairment they didn't give my teaching assistants the work in time for them to put it in an accessible format but at university it was completely different yeah there were times where you know lecturers did forget but everything was available to everyone so I kind of wasn't an outsider and I wasn't been treated any different and I think the good thing about university is everyone is from like a different walk of life so whether you have a disability or you know you've got a impairment or maybe something like dyslexia there's always people that are either in the same or a similar situation and I think this really helps both students and lecturers I mean there were times where you know I kind of Maybe struggled to access certain things and assessments had to be changed. But overall, it was really positive, and I think uni was probably like the making of me as it conjures itself.
0: <laughs> no, I like that. It's really good to know that higher education is is at least an improvement. So hopefully, that will filter down to schools as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely think there are things that can be done. So like, you know, maybe making disabled students' allowance better, and that's where you can get support and equipment, and often students face barriers we can't get pieces piece of equipment or support for various reasons so but overall I think you know if you make it kind of accessible and others make it accessible for you then it can definitely be a positive experience mm. and I think one of the things that I learned is that it's really important to say what your needs are and to say if something isn't going right mm. because people learn from you
0: yeah now speaking about accessibility there was um a viral post that went around social media recently with yes yes, i'm sure everyone's (laughs) seen it um had a picture of a blind woman looking at her phone and the caption if you see what's wrong with this photo say i see it um and i know a lot of people with visual impairments are quite hurt and quite angry about it understandably yeah Um, but would you like to explain for anyone who doesn't know how someone with a visual impairment uses their phone and why the picture was quite so demeaning?
1: Yeah, sure. So blind and visually impaired people can actually use phones, like are accessible. And this is kind of what we were so angry about because just because we're blind and visually impaired, you know, I don't have any useful vision, but I can see light and dark. Some people have useful vision. So this doesn't mean to say that regardless of what vision you have, You can't use a mobile phone because you can. There are various accessibility features built into phones. The most popular operating systems are iPhones, so Apple iPhones running on iOS and Android. I personally have an iPhone and I use a feature called VoiceOver, which is a screen reader. So it basically reads everything that's on the screen. So I can use the phone just like sighted people can. So it reads everything out loud, such as my messages, emails, social media, everything like that. And that enables me to use a phone, even though I don't have any useful vision. I can see light and dark, but obviously that's no use for a phone. (laughs) But voiceover kind of enables me to, you know, just pick up any iPhone or any Android phone, just like other people and use it in the same way.
0: Yeah. So then to take a photo of somebody who is blind using a phone as a joke just becomes very ignorant and quite intrusive yeah. as well.
1: Yeah, like, I don't think that person knew that they were having the picture taken. And one of the things that I think really annoyed me about it was that just because, you know, they maybe had a mobility, so they had a cane in the hand and a phone, why does that give someone a right to take a picture? Like, why is that not something that is seen in everyday everyday society? Because it is. We do it on a regular basis. There are things like Zoom, which, you know, can you can zoom in and magnify the screen. A magnifier, making larger text, so making text bigger on the screen so that you can see it easily. Colour inversion so that you can change background colours and things like that. So phones are fully accessible and there was no need for that person to think, oh, that person is using a cane and a phone at the same time. They must be faking blindness because actually, no, we can use technology in the
0: same way? Absolutely. And it's it's incredibly intrusive to think that somebody on the street can just snap a photo like that as well.
1: Yeah, like what if that person I'm assuming they didn't have any idea. For that to be shared on Facebook without their consent, that's just
0: it's so wrong. It really is. What other accessibility tools do you use that people might not be aware of?
1: So I use a cane, it's a long cane and Rather than the standard white cane, I actually have a purpled cane because, you know, I'm a proper girly girl, so I love my purple cane. (laughs) There's a kind of debate whether long canes should be purple or coloured, any colour, or just the standard white, but obviously we won't get into that. (laughs) Yeah, so I use my long cane and that enables me to get around independently. I also use a computer, so laptop. I can use Windows and Mac, so Apple Mac, so I can basically use a computer in the same way as sighted people again i use a screen reader on that on windows i use jaws screen reader and on apple mac the feature that i was talking about voiceover on the iphone it's also built into apple macs and ipads so i use that so i can use my computer for blogging for work emails anything just like sighted people can and that is definitely an accessibility tool that i couldn't do without because Without that, you know, I couldn't do my job, I couldn't do my blog, I kind of just couldn't use a computer. In addition to that, sometimes I connect um, a piece of assistive technology equipment called a braille display. And what that does is it puts what's on a screen, so either a mobile phone screen or a computer screen, it puts it into braille so that you can read it with your fingers rather than having it read out loud. I mainly use this for proofreading documents, so I used to use it all the time at uni for proofreading essays. I now sometimes use it for proofreading blog posts if I'm sick of my screen reader reading it out to me. And I'll use it at work for things like presentations and things like that. And so that's definitely a really good piece of assistive tech to use. I also use an OrCam, which is a device which you can clip onto a pair of glasses. And mine basically connects by like kind of a magnet and it will read printed material out loud. So things like books,
0: documents
1: letters that kind of thing which is really useful
0: that's really cool i actually hadn't heard of that one
1: had you not yeah it is that it's really good actually you can get some apps that do the same thing, but I think, you know, if you maybe don't have access to your phone at the time, then it's it's a really useful thing to have. I also use various apps on my phone, which are accessibility tools, so apps that help me get around for navigation, apps that maybe read audiobooks. And it's not necessarily accessibility, but it's making audiobooks and books they accessible to me in the same way as sighted people. And also apps that recognise products and photos. It'll tell me what's in a photo. And again, there's also apps like the OrCam that read text and printed documents.
0: That's very cool. Now, I was actually just thinking, because on on Twitter, I know that you can enable accessibility. And then if you upload a photo, for instance, I can provide a description of that photo. And I think that works with screen readers. Am I right?
1: Yeah, it does. So once you add an image description, it will, the screen reader will basically read out what you wrote in the description, so it'll read exactly what you wrote, which that makes images fully accessible, because say on Twitter, if you didn't add the description, it would just say image, so then I would maybe have to put the photo through an app and see exactly what it is, and it would read it out loud to me. Obviously, it's not always going to be accurate. So adding descriptions, it just makes things so much easier. And I just like it when people do it because I think, you know what, they've actually taken the time to add that description.
0: Yeah, it actually shows that they're thinking about people who might yeah. not be able to see the, what what they're posting.
1: <laughs> and they've made it accessible and inclusive. So I think that's
0: great. Yeah, absolutely. Now, your blog um, has been super successful um, Thank you. <laughs> how did you get into blogging initially and develop it to the point you have?
1: So yeah, like I said earlier on, I started it four years ago, back in tw- January twenty fifteen. I didn't have any idea where it would go. I didn't even obviously think about any of the opportunities that I'd get. None of it even entered my head. I basically started it because I enjoyed writing, and I wanted to share my experiences of living with a vision impairment, educate. Non disabled people on sight loss and disability and tackle common stigmas surrounding sight loss and disability and also help others maybe in a similar situation because I have a passion for helping others so I was kind of like maybe writing my experiences will you know maybe help them. I started it out just on a free platform called WordPress and it was free and you know a kind of it was just my hobby at the time and then I decided to go self-hosted, so I now pay for my own URL. So originally it used to be lifeofablindgirl.wordpress.com and now it's lifeofablindgirl.com. I wanted to do that because I thought, you know what, maybe I can make it into something and maybe I can reach people and really help them. As it went along and I started sharing my experiences, I started to share them more on social media, started to connect with other disabled bloggers other disabled people, other blind and vision impaired people, and people started to send me messages and say, oh your writing's really helped me, or I got messages from parents with a disabled child, and they said, you know, it's really helped me understand their disability a bit more, it's really helped me understand their
0: vision impairment. That must be really rewarding.
1: Yeah definitely, like I love getting messages from my readers because I think it makes it all worthwhile. Over the years I've started to get involved with various campaigns from organisations such as the RNIB and Scope so as I started blogging I think it was about maybe a year after I got involved with Scopes and the Awkward campaign to obviously kind of end the stigmas surrounding disability and then I've been involved with various RNIB campaigns such as the How I See campaign and the Cane Debate campaign and most recently their Blind People Use Phones campaigns and that's really helped me maybe get more readers and connect with other people and as I've started to do more and more blogging over the years and really try you know to put my all into it really I've started to write for more for more publications and that's kind of helped me grow.
0: I'm sure you know much more about this than me but um, <laughs> <laughs> I've learnt a lot about um, life as a blind or visually impaired person from you and also from Dr Amy Cavana's Just Ask Don't Grab campaign
1: online
0: um which took off it looked to me like it took off really quickly but it might be she'd been doing it for ages and I just not not noticed (laughs) but um her experiences with navigating the world as a blind woman similar to yours like what do you think of the campaign
1: yeah I think the campaign's great so Amy obviously travels um she seems to travel around London quite a bit I think my experiences aren't you know maybe as busy and as happening every day like Amy's are maybe but I 100% agree with the campaign, because when you're out walking or, you know, when you're just trying to get somewhere, people will, like, come up to you and grab your arm and be like, oh, you need there, and I'm like, no... So for for instance I was walking to my office at work and at work I have to pass one of the main help desks and I was just walking by and then someone grabbed my arm and was like oh the desk is here and I'm like, I don't want the desk thank you <laughs> or people were like or people kind of shout steps and I'm like I know the campaign's great and I think a lot of people including myself can relate to what Amy's doing and I think it really helps sighted people understand, and non-disabled people as well, to understand not to grab a blind or vision impaired person or just a disabled person in general. Like We wouldn't go up to some random person and just grab them by their arm. So, you know, why does it make it right for someone else to grab a disabled person? Like I don't get it.
0: <laughs> it must be quite shocking as well, because obviously... Unless they announce that they're about to grab you. You've got no warning sign, have you? So that must be slightly. Like, it must get your adrenaline going if somebody does that.
1: More than anything, it kind of makes you jump and kind of freak out a bit because, you know, I can't see the person there. So they kind of just appeared from nowhere and just grab you and you're like wait what are you actually doing? Like what?
0: (laughs) Yeah it's like you might be trying to help but I've got no way of knowing that.
1: Yeah and it kind of fell off track a bit because you're focusing on where you're going and you're kind of focusing on what your cane is telling you, the obstacles you've got to get around and stuff and if someone grabs you, you're kind of brought out of your own little bubble in a way.
0: Yeah. Um what would you say to someone who is maybe facing the prospect of sight loss or has just been or has just recently lost their sight? Like what advice would you give to them?
1: There's so much advice that I could give, but I think one of the main things is look for the positives because you know there are so many negative stigmas surrounding sight loss, but they're not the reality. The reality is that yeah, it's going to be hard and, you know, I'm not I don't sugarcoat anything on my blog or in person. So yeah, there's going to be hard times and you know, you're going to face challenges, but it's about finding the skills that your sight loss is going to give you, such as using your cane, learning to read braille or learning to use assistive sort of technology and focusing on those and also connect with the sight loss and disabled community because having people in the same or similar situation to talk to can really help because you know then that you're not alone and you can get advice from people you can ask questions you might think they're stupid but they're really not and there's always people that are willing to help and I think it's really important to engage with people because you know you might make lifelong friends or you might get a piece of advice that could really make things so much easier but also to kind of maybe read blogs and watch YouTube videos from others because you can learn a lot from them. When I was younger, I didn't really have those type of resources and I think I could have really done with them to know that I wasn't on my own or that, you know, people were in the same situation as me and you can actually come out stronger on the other side. And also to kind of one final piece of advice is to make use of services around you. So charities and organisations such as the RNIB or your local sight loss charity They offer so many services that you can use and just make use of, which can be great and it can make us such a difference.
0: And it must be, I'm sure it's it's quite frightening to, to have been sighted and to have lost your, your sight. But like you say, there's so much help and support and it doesn't have to be the end of everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have no idea what it's like to you know have been sighted and then lost my sight because I've been blind all my life. So I can't you know quite imagine what someone is going through like that. But what I can kind of offer, and other people as well, is that it's not the end of everything and that you will be fine and you can still be yourself.
0: Absolutely, and you can still engage with the world and experience the world just as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. You may experience the world in a different way, but what's so bad about that? Like, your experiences are unique.
0: Yeah, it doesn't matter that they've changed. Your experiences were always unique in their own way anyway.
1: Yeah, and they're just as valid. So just because maybe you're losing your sight and you don't have fully useful vision or you don't have, you know, any sight at all, it doesn't mean to say that your experiences aren't valid and you can still share these experiences with others and you can still get a job or be in education do whatever you want to do like you can still succeed
0: yeah completely now if um if you could change one thing about the political climate for disabled people at the moment what would it be
1: oh that's a tough one (laughs) (laughs) i think it would be that accessibility should be at the forefront of everything and inclusivity should, you know, be key. It shouldn't be an afterthought. So, for example, making websites accessible or getting tickets to go and see your favourite band Everything should be made accessible, and I think mainstream things such as restaurants and everyday things that you do, it should you shouldn't be made to feel like a burden, and it should just be there for you. And accessibility just should be key.
0: Yeah, like built into everything, as opposed yeah. to afterwards.
1: Yeah, pretty much. And it yeah, it just needs to be built into kind of everyday life so that disabled people, or blind vision impaired people can experience life just like non-disabled people because just because you know maybe we aren't as able-bodied it doesn't mean to say that we don't want to do these everyday things and it should just be built into society really
0: and uh, like a lot of people are obviously campaigning for this and have been campaigning for this um which which activists or role models have really helped you and who do you most admire in the disability community
1: As you previously mentioned, Amy, I would 100% say Amy. I think her campaigning work is really good and she seems to be reaching such a wide audience. I'd also say Lucy Edswoods, who started her YouTube channel quite a few years ago. She is kind of putting it out there that just because you have a visual impairment, you can still be interested in things like beauty and you can still do everyday things. But there are so many disabled people that honestly you're doing amazing things and i just really admire. like admire the list is endless
0: (laughs) no i completely (laughs) agree with you and And yourself
1: as well like honestly like doing this podcast and shining a light on disabled people and you know interviewing disabled people like that's amazing
0: oh thank you (laughs) um that's very sweet and you know i've learned so much from you and from your blog i do think it's incredible and you you have been kind of killing it recently with the Shaw the shore power list and all the rest of it so i'm not sure whether <laughs> this is like going to be a weird question to ask but like what are your plans for the future where do you want where do you see yourself going
1: i actually got asked this the other day as well and i was kind of like oh, i'm i'm not really sure but I kind of want to continue what I'm doing you know I don't do any of it for kind of the recognition like it doesn't enter my head yes it's amazing and I'm beyond grateful but I wouldn't kind of be like oh I want to achieve this because I'm a blogger (laughs) if you know what I mean yeah (laughs) but yeah so I want to continue tackling common misconceptions and stigmas surrounding sight loss and disability and hopefully help others and just continue to grow my blog really if I get incredible opportunities from that then it's kind of a bonus
0: You can follow Holly and her work on Twitter at at atlifeofablindgirl, that's girl spelt G-R-L on Twitter, and of course, find her blog at lifeofablindgirl.com. Now we come to our final section of the show, and this month we're shining some visibility on one or two of the disabled and chronically ill creators you might be interested in lending your support to this month. In writing visibility, Steph writes about the everyday challenges and surreal moments of being a dwarf over on her blog HelloLittleLady.com. In gaming visibility, Cherry Ray is a disabled accessibility consultant and streams four days a week over on their Twitch channel at twitch.tv forward slash (laughs) Cherry Ray. And in Art Visibility, Leah Paz is a multidisciplinary artist with ME who creates embroidery pieces of her invisible symptoms. You can follow her and her work on Twitter at @leah_paz. Leah underscore Paz. That's all for March's podcast. And next month, I hope you'll join me for a special episode about the Invisi Youth Charity, featuring their founder, Dominique Veal, and one of their UK global brand leaders. If there's a disability topic, activist, creator or news story you'd like to see featured here this year, you can contact me on Twitter at, at visibilitytoday or email visibilitytoday at gmail.com. For now, thanks for listening and I'll see you next month for another look at What's In Visibility Then?